Well, let me just once again welcome you to uh, Fellowship Church. If you're new, we're glad to have you, and we're just so thankful for you being here, and I really hope that uh, you have already been blessed uh, by being part of our service uh, as we sing truth uh, about God and as we declare truth to God uh, from our hearts, not just saying things that are true, but hopefully singing things that we believe in our own hearts. And as we continue on in our worship, we are moving to a a part of our service where we take time um, every time we gather to uh, teach the word of God. And uh, we believe this is part of what God has called us to do. And so this is a big part of why we gather. And we have been working through a preaching series uh, entitled Ruined, a Biblical Understanding of Sin. And so we have been seeking to understand uh, this concept of sin, but doing so from a biblical perspective. And even as we were singing and in those songs, several times we sang about sin. And it just reminds us that even as we're singing, are we understanding the words that we are singing about and understanding them from a biblical state of mind? And as we continue today, we're going to be looking at temptation. And again, in order to understand sin biblically, we need to understand temptation to sin biblically in a biblical way. And, and so I think to do that, we also have to correct some misunderstandings that we may have of temptation. And some of those uh, misunderstandings may vary, but you know, one of them that you'll hear people say, and maybe they say it in a joking manner, manner is, you know, the devil made me do it. You know, you'll hear that, right? Like the devil made me do. And that, that one actually started in Eden. Uh, we're not really original for that one. Uh, started with Eve when she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And, and earlier this year, uh, I, was, I was reading about this. The, the Harvard Business Review published an article entitled, Blame Culture is Toxic. And they were talking about, this whole article was talking about blame culture. And they went on to try and explain why this happens. And of course, you would, you would probably realize or, or it would be obvious to you that they didn't mention Genesis uh, or the fact that this has been a problem for humanity for our entire existence. But they did acknowledge that as humans, that they said that there's something, you know, wired within us where we just have this propensity to blame other people. And circumstances for the things in our life that go wrong. It's just something in us, and they they then went on trying to you know explain that uh, without any biblical foundation. And and the reality is that's true. What what they were saying is true. We we do have that propensity, and and it also seems that when it comes to temptation, we we do this again. We we will we will blame, and and often it's the wrong things that we're blaming or the wrong people. And and so as we continue to seek to understand this concept of sin biblically, we're going to need to understand temptation. We're going to need to recognize, as we'll see today, that the devil made me do it is not really something that is taught in the Bible. We're going to see exactly how the Bible explains how temptation works and how we are to respond to it. And so I'm gonna pray and I wanna ask you to pray in your hearts as I'm leading that you would be praying that God would speak to you through his word on this very important topic and subject. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we acknowledge that we are all 
all of us, we have so much to learn. Even, even those of us who have known the Lord uh, for a long time, there's still so much we have to learn. We want to submit ourselves to your word, your truth, and, and Lord, help us to understand this concept that is that the Bible speaks about, temptation, but not to do so culturally, but to do so biblically. That's what we want to do. We want to honor you by understanding these things in a biblical way, and then we want to respond to that truth by by receiving it into our hearts and allowing it, uh, allowing it to transform us so that we can honor and glorify you more and more and be able to resist temptation and to overcome it as you have explained again in your word. So guide and direct us, Lord, we pray. Guide and direct me and give us ears to hear all of us and hearts that are open in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with a definition of uh, temptation because I think it's important always to define our words so we know what we're talking about and that we're all on the same page. And, and so the definition that I want to give to you today is actually not a, an original one uh, for me. It's actually from John Owen, a, a Puritan who may have studied temptation and sin as much as anyone uh, ever has, uh, even, even th- through, through today. And, and so here's what he writes about, about temptation. He says, it's anything, state, way, or condition that upon any account, whatever, has a force or efficacy to seduce, to draw the mind and heart of a man, of a person, from its obedience, which God requires of him, into any sin in any degree of that sin whatsoever, is, is what he says. Now, he he writes this in, in obviously a puritanical way that we probably wouldn't speak today. And so the way I, I kind of rewrote this in a way that uh, may help you to make more sense of it. Um, and I'll put it up here on the screen for you to see. But anything whatsoever that seduces our mind and heart from obedience to God and which draws us into thought, attitude, or action, which displeases God. And so it's pretty much anything that does that. Anything that seduces our minds, our heart from obeying God. Instead of obeying God, what happens is we're drawn into a thought, into an attitude, into an action that is now displeasing to God. Anything that does that is going to be temptation. Now, as we continue, what I'm going to do is continue to fill in more about this uh, understanding of temptation so that we have a fuller understanding of it. So let's do that by looking at uh, the two primary objectives of temptation. So, and again, all of this for the purpose of understanding this biblically. So the primary objectives of temptation, first, the temptation to allow evil into our hearts and minds, and second, to allow evil to flow out of our hearts and minds. So, so when it comes to temptation, temptation is seeking to bring something in to you, and uh, it's either doing that or it's trying to bring something out of you. In, in both cases, what's going in and what's coming out is evil and not pleasing to God. And so good for us, again, as, we're, as we fill out this understanding that we understand the objectives of temptation. Now, there are also sources of temptation that are biblical. And, and one of them is the text we're going to be in for the most part today. Uh, but I want to list these at least up front. 
these sources of temptation. One is internal, two are external. So the internal is our heart and mind. What we talked about a couple of weeks ago with indwelling sin, such an important part of understanding who we are, what the scripture says, and, and we're gonna look into, again, this specific source in much more detail today. But let me move on to the other two that I'm not gonna be going into as much detail today. And that's the external, the world. So that's one of them is the, is the world. The outside world that we live in is a source of temptation to us. The world, the, the world's ways, culture, society, media, politics, entertainment, education, none of these things in and of themselves may even be inherently wrong, but when, when the system of the world is using these things in a way that is not pleasing to God, each of these things will have ways to tempt us to sin. This is why the John the Apostle wrote in 1 John 2, he said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and then there's some descriptions there, which we're going to see relate very closely to James 1. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father. Those things aren't from God. It's from the world. And so think of it this way. Because a lot of times, and what I've been trying to do through this series is help us to see when we're thinking about sin, that the problem isn't primarily out there. We have to think inwardly. Think of this. The world essentially creates the things our sinful hearts desire. That's what the world does. The world, the world isn't necessarily putting the desire there. It's creating the thing we need for the desire to be fulfilled. And that's what we see. That's why we can't spend all of our time and attention on, as Christians as simply trying to make the world or the country moral because you're addressing something external that has to be addressed internal. The world's just going to produce things that allow our hearts, sinful desires to be fulfilled. Then we have external, a, a third one, and that's Satan, the devil and his forces. The devil himself... And his demonic forces bring temptation. This is why Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. The devil has schemes. Things that he uses against us. And he seeks to bring evil into our hearts and he seeks to draw evil out of our hearts. And we're going to get more into this specific uh, area next week, talking about his ways and tactics. Now, God has graciously given us provision for each one of these sources of temptation, each one in his word. So I want to list, I want to show that um, here on this next screen here for you to see. We have indwelling sin. And, and the provision biblically there for our heart and our mind within dwelling sin is to mortify sin in and through the Holy Spirit. The world, the, the provision there is a renewed desire and renewed holy delight in God and his ways. Because instead of desiring the things the world has and is offering, God is saying, desire the things that I give. Desire and delight in me. And then the devil 
the, the biblical provision there that we see from James 4 is resist the devil, submit yourself to God, James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So God has given us provision. We are not left without provision. Now I wanna move from all of that and look closer at this first source of temptation. And why, why do I wanna do that? Because this first source that, we, that I mentioned, our hearts, our minds, uh, what is indwelling, that is our primary problem. That is our primary area of concern for each one of us. You, you, you may not realize this. And again, the hope of this series is for us to realize it. But our number one problem with temptation is not necessarily the world or even the devil. It is the desires of our heart and mind that are used against us by the world and the devil. And how do I know this? I'll answer the Sunday school answer. The Bible tells me so. And we're going to explain that here. So let's look at James 1, the passage that was read earlier. I want to start with verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So what, what, we, what we need to do here as we start looking at temptation is we need to start with God. Uh, James is providing truths about God, one about his nature and one about his method. So God's nature is holy. He cannot be tempted by evil. So if we, if you're, if you're saying, I want to have a biblical understanding of sin, you need to know this. And this needs to be a bedrock upon which you build your understanding of sin. And that is that God is holy and God cannot be tempted by evil. He is not an evil God. And, and then second, God's method, God does not tempt anyone. So before James explains how temptation works, he tells us about God. He tells us about God's nature. He tells us about God's method when it comes to sin and temptation. Again, how many times, we've talked about this a lot as a church, the Bible starts with God. And this is an important thing that we should understand. In our Bible study, when we're talking with other people about the word of God and we read something and the first thing we want to talk about is us. The Bible is about God. And so the first thing you want to do is understand how this word is revealing something to you about him. And then you take that truth and apply it to your life. This is what James does here. He establishes God's nature and God's method. And then he moves on to humanity. And he tells us about how temptation works. So after, after getting this, this nature of God, uh, the fact that he's holy and his method, that he does not tempt, he then gives us the reality of human temptation as he begins to unfold temptation to humanity, the reality of human temptation. Each of us are tempted in the same way. James 1.14 uh, here, each person is tempted when? So 
each of us, that, that, that's the concept here, each of us, James is writing this to believers, so, so this is to uh, Christians, we, each of us are, are tempted in the same way, and James is about to tell us how that happens. Now, this is confirmed in scripture in other places. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you, that is not common to man. There's, there's something common uh, about the way that we are tempted. So, so here's what we need to understand. All of us are tempted differently by different temptations, but the process of temptation, what's actually happening inside in each of us spiritually, what James is telling us, it, it's pretty much the same. He's just going to use different things because each of us have different desires. So it's not right for us to think, well, you just don't understand. You don't face the temptations that I do. You don't see, you don't realize where I work. You don't realize what I do for a living. And that brings so much, you know, that you don't face there. Each of us have to realize that there's a propensity to sin from temptation in each one of our lives. And it's going to be a little different, but we're all going to face it. The temptations may differ, but the process is the same. So let's now look at how temptation is explained. The process, how are we tempted? First, we see here in verse 14, evil desires of our heart are enticed to be fulfilled in a sinful way. Evil desires of our heart are enticed to be fulfilled in a sinful way. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. Whose desire? Ours, our own. We, we have to own that. that this, is what, this is what James is doing. This is what scripture is doing. Now that word lure is translated as enticed in the NIV and in the New American Standard. Same, same Greek word, just different English translation. And, and I think either would apply here. But the picture being drawn is we are like fish being drawn to a shiny lure in the water. And we see it and it's skimming maybe on the top. It's pleasing to the eye. It's pleasing to the flesh. It catches our eye. It catches our attention. It catches our heart. We are enticed by it. John Owen said this. He said, temptations and occasions put nothing into a man, but only draw out what was in him before. That, that, that quote is, is telling us that, that the temptation is simply trying to draw out what is in there. And I think I have that uh, on, a, on the screen for you to see that, that quote so that you can see it and understand that temptation and occasions put nothing into us, but they draw out what is in us. And, and, and so this is something that, again, James is trying to help us understand. We are enticed because evil desires lurk in our hearts. And evil is only enticing, think about it, it's only enticing to someone who desires evil, right? How can evil be enticing if you don't desire it? 
right? It's, if you're going shopping with, with friends and, or, you know, there's a group of, of men and women, right? And, and, and you're going past the different stores, right? And there's a sports store and then there's like a, a store for like purses and, and bags, right? And, and that store is not enticing to me. I could go in there and not spend any money. No problem. Amen. No problem. Right? But, but you go into another store with, you know, some sports memorabilia and some other things like that. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I think I really need that. And, and so it's, it's just we, what, what, what entices us are the things that we desire. Second, once enticed, we are dragged away into sin by our evil desire. Once enticed, we're dragged away into sin by our evil desire. So this is now temptation and, and, and what's happening. It's explaining it. Verse 14, I want to read this in the NIV. It says, each person is tempted when they're dragged away. It's a little bit different terminology than the ESV there. By their own evil desire and enticed. So once our hearts are enamored by the lure of sin, we chase after it. We bite down on the lure and we get hooked and we get carried away into sin. That's, that's, that's the picture that's being drawn here. So I want to I bring this out then. Notice the main issue of temptation then is not an external sin. It is internal sinful desire that has found a safe home in our hearts. It, there, there's, there's desire that's kind of lurking there and it's just waiting for the right lure to go by. And we know it's there. And we're just kind of like, it's okay. I think we're okay as long as it doesn't, you know, cause too much trouble. I think I have it under control. I don't really want to remove it completely because that's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. I don't really want to deal with that. And that's why I started with indwelling sin. We need to understand how significant that is to even understand temptation biblically. So if we think temptation, if our thought biblically of temptation or as a Christian is temptation is out there and my job is to basically, you know, shield up around and not, not let anything in, we're, we're, we're almost defeated already. Because the battle of temptation is starting here. We must do battle there. That's, that's why Christianity was never meant to just, you know, all the Christians, you know, go into some convent somewhere, get away from everything. Because if you do that, then you're safe. No, you're not. That's, history's proven that to us. No, you're not. Because you can't get away from, from what's in here. And this is what needs to be dealt with. All right, so now James tells us what temptation leads to. He moves from there to tell us what it leads to, but he uses very odd language. He uses childbearing language to explain this. Again, he's doing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he tells us about two births. Once enticed and dragged away, we move from being tempted to sin to actual sin. Look at verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, 
gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. The NIV writes it this way, gives birth to death. So we have birth to sin and birth to death. Two, two descriptions here of, of birth, birth to sin and birth to death. And, and what I want you to see, I want you to understand what the point is that, that the writer James is getting at here. The word picture here is inevitability. That's what he's getting at. He's getting at inevitability. So get that, put that, put that word into your mind so that you can build on that. And I'll explain what he means. He's, he's using childbearing and pregnancy as a picture of inevitability. A woman who is pregnant, and yes, I did say a woman who is pregnant, will eventually give birth to a child. That's what he's getting at. That will eventually happen. It is inevitable. The child will come. Pregnancy leads to birth eventually. That, that, that's what he's getting at. And, and for those of you who, who are pregnant, you're probably saying, I hope so, because it's been a long time. And, and I want this to come. And that's James' point, is that that's what's coming. But how does this relate to temptation? The inevitability of enticement is sin. That's what he's saying. He's drawing this conclusion from the one, the word picture of pregnancy and childbirth to now enticement and sin. The inevitability of of, of being enticed is that you're going to sin. And the inevitability of sin is death. That's what he's saying. This is what will happen. It's not, he's saying it's nothing more than the progression, the natural progression of sin. Don't be surprised. Don't act like, oh, that temptation really got me. Don't act that way because that's what's going to happen if you continue to not deal with what is going on in your heart. Because once enticed, you will sin. And if you continue to sin, it'll lead to death. Now, let's, let's explain what he means there because he's writing this to believers. He's not saying that a believer who's indwelled by the Holy Spirit is, is saved, has saving faith, loses that saving faith. They lose their salvation. He's not saying that. It's not, it's not what is meant by death. James, again, he wrote this to believers. He's trying to encourage them to persevere. That's what verse 12 is about. This is, what, this is why it helps us to read scripture in, in context. You know, he's persevere through trial, persevere through temptation. He's not saying you can lose your salvation. Again, that's not biblical. He's saying something else. He's saying genuine faith in Christ is marked by something. It is marked by resisting temptation, not continuing to give into it. That's what he's getting at. He's getting it's marked by, by, by you have learned, you have become mature, and you now resist. Genuine saving faith in Christ takes you off of the cycle of enticement, sin, 
And instead, it's marked by resisting in the power of the Holy Spirit, fleeing, submitting to God, and continuing to grow. So, no matter the temptation, whether it's anger, jealousy, lust, coveting, slander, laziness, needless fear, constant worry. These are all things that you notice are in our hearts. And if we know they're there and we just don't pay attention to them, what he's saying is something's going to come your way and it's going to entice you to sin because that's lurking. And you need to learn how to resist that. So keep that all in mind. And now what I want to do is move to how do you resist temptation? How do we do it? So for that, I want to turn to Matthew 26. And I want to see what Jesus said about this. So if you could turn to Matthew 26, verse 36. We'll start there. Matthew 26 verse 36. This is Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? And then verse 41 is where I want to focus. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's, that's where I want to focus uh, what, what we're talking about as we look at how to resist. But I want to start with this question. What does Jesus mean by the phrase, enter into temptation? Because temptation in and of itself is not necessarily sin. But he's saying here, pray that you do not enter into temptation. And I think what he's telling Peter, he would apply to us as well. We should also not enter into temptation. So we need to understand that. So the, the, way, that, the way that I think this makes sense as I want to, again, use scripture to interpret scripture. I would say that to enter into temptation is to indulge and tolerate your, your evil desires so that when temptation comes, you're going to be enticed and dragged away to sin. That's, that's how to enter. To not enter then would be to not indulge, to not tolerate those internal evil desires within you and to instead seek to mortify them. In other words, you, re- you realize they're there. You're not okay with them being there and, with, and you're doing something about it 
in, in, in the power and in the strength of the Holy Spirit. You're not doing it on your own because you can't do it on your own. You have to submit to God and let him do it. But what you're not doing is saying, I know it's there. It's okay. I know I struggle with anger. It's just my struggle. As if that means you have permission to just go ahead and give in to that temptation whenever you feel like it. The reality is you don't. And that's the same with any one of these that I mentioned, whether it's jealousy or, or, or needless fear or, or, and, 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 and worry or, or, or lust or coveting or on any of these things. So to not enter means that we are going to seek to remove and to address these internal desires. So now that we understand what it means to not enter into temptation, let's, let's look at the two ways that Jesus gives to resist temptation. So this, is, this would be how not to do that. First is watch. Verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So what did, what did Jesus mean by watch? That word in, in the Greek has a meaning of being vigilant. It means to give strict attention to something. It, it has a meaning of active watching. It's not passive watching. So to be on watch so that you do not enter into temptation means that you do not tolerate evil desires lurking in your heart. You're actively seeking to mortify them because you recognize what they will do. I was thinking about how we are to address these evil desires in our heart. And I, and I thought, you know, we need, we need to treat indwelling evil desires like we do weeds in our yard. Maybe this is a good way to think about it. You don't just hope weeds go away. If you do, you have a lot of weeds. You don't sit in your living room, look out the window and see all those weeds and go, those weeds just won't go away. Every morning I see them and they just won't go anywhere. I'm so tired of those. I'm so tired of dealing with those weeds. You get up the next morning, they're still there. Why don't they just go away? And then you talk with a friend. You say, yeah, I'm just having a problem with weeds. I've just done everything. They won't go away. And they said, well, have you tried to pull them out? Have you tried weed killer? Kill the weed. Because if you let them grow, what they're going to do is they're going to take over. They're going to take over the healthy grass. They're going to, and now I'm giving you a, a, a lesson in landscaping, which I'm not qualified to do at all. But I've, I've seen weeds and how they, how they work. But the reality is you need to go out there and you need to uproot those weeds. And they may be deeply rooted, but they need to be uprooted and they need to be removed. And it is the same with sin in our hearts. This is, this is what he's getting at. You can't look at the desires of, of jealousy and anger and worry and fear and, and, and lust and everything else and just wish they would go away. I just wish they would go away. They just won't. They need to be removed. They need weed killer. And the weed killer is the word of God, the truth of God, the Holy Spirit, 
and you being active and on watch. We can't tolerate these desires within us. We need to actively seek to remove them, to mortify them. And if you think about what's going on in our society today, this is what is being ignored. This is why we have so many discussions about particular sins. This is why, really, part of the reason why I think God led me into this whole series on sin is so that we could understand better not how to argue specific sins, but to actually understand sin biblically to help people understand the problem that we're having in our society with how we're explaining away everything and saying it's okay. It's the reason why we're having the problem that we're having in our country, in our world with sex and gender. It's, it's because we've adopted something that's completely not biblical. And that is this, I have a desire and I should be able to fulfill it. And the reality is the scripture is saying all of us have desires that are sinful. Everyone that is here does. And we need to submit them to God. And when they need to be removed, we need to ask him to do that work in us. See, it comes down to how we actually understand sin biblically. The second way that Jesus gave us, that's watch. The second way Jesus gave us is, is to pray. How do we pray? How do we pray about this? Dear Jesus, please make temptation easy today. <laughs> Amen. You know, please allow only the easy ones today. I didn't sleep good last night, had a long week at work. Give me the bad ones Friday. I'll be off. It'll be a little, you know, like we, we have these times of bartering with God. That's not how we pray. We pray for the strength and the courage to be vigilant with our evil desires and our indwelling sin. We pray. We say, God, help me. Help me to be on watch. Help me to be vigilant. I don't want these things that I become okay with to be okay. I want you to help me. And so we ask the spirit of God to remove these traces of desire that are in our hearts that we know are not pleasing to God. And we say, I'm done with these. I want to give them up to you. We pray that we would no longer indulge and, and tolerate evil desires we want to follow the exhortation from Jesus. Pray that you will not enter into temptation. And to not enter into temptation is to not indulge these desires. We pray against that. And we ask God to help us. And when we have this biblical understanding, it will even change how we pray. It'll, it'll change our prayer life. Our biggest request then won't be when we wake up, you know, just safety on the, on the roads or, or just to feel better so I can have a day where I don't feel as physically bad. But you realize I have things in my heart that need to be dealt with and that's where my prayer is gonna begin. That's where I'm gonna ask God to do work. And it changes even how you pray and you're praying a whole lot more about spiritual things that are going on in your life. And this is, this is what it means to watch and to pray. To not enter into temptation. I want to give you a couple thoughts to consider and think about as I, as I wrap this up. First one is, is this. 
and and I think it's already been said, but just another way to repeat it, evil desires left unchecked will drag you away from pleasing Christ. We we just need to realize that we got to deal with the desires that are in our heart. If you've entertained some sort of evil behavior or action in your mind and you've not acted on it yet, That's what happens. Something pops into your head and you start to mull it over. You start to think about it. Maybe I will do this. That thought lingers. You need to battle that thought. And you need to begin battling it today. Say, no, God, this is not right. I need to submit it to you. I will not anymore indulge and just let it play out. Acknowledge it as sin before God and ask the spirit of God to kill that thought because it has no place in your mind and in your heart and you're redrawing battle lines now. You're, you're taking territory that you had once given to your enemy. So don't, we can't leave these desires unchecked. Second, we need to realize that we're fully responsible for our evil desires and the sin of giving in to those desires. This goes back to what I started with earlier about blame. James 1, 12 through 15 could not be more counter to the cultural approach of today, which is if you feel good about it, then it's okay. And no one has the right to tell you that how you feel is wrong. Can I, can I say this to you in response to that? that if this is how you feel, it's okay. No one has the right to tell you how you feel is wrong. And this applies to any area that we've talked about, not just one or two, every area. But I wanna say something to you as your pastor, as a pastor who has been called by God to tell you the calling is to declare to you what God says. And I need to tell you that God has the right to tell you these things. Every one of us. We can't accept God. No one has the right. God has the right. He created you. The very breath you're breathing in, he gives you. The very strength you have to stand up and walk out of here, he gives you. The very thought that's going through your mind right now, he gives you the ability to think that thought and he could take it away. Everything we have comes from God. And he is telling us these desires will lure us away from him and it will lead to sin and then to death. They need to be dealt with. So we can't, as Christians, to do this, we can't can't play the blame game. We can't blame circumstances in our life. We can't blame things that have happened in our past and say, well, this happened and that happened and this happened and and that's why I'm doing this today. That is a very common thought today and even brought about by, you know, the whole idea of, of, of psychology and sociology will say, you know, that's part of the reason why. And I would say that those would, those things would mean that you have a propensity to think or act in a certain way, but you never Biblically, has anything happened in your past that says, now you have to sin? So we can't blame circumstances in our past. We can't blame God and say, well, you know, God, this is the way you created me. It must be your fault. We started with that. God is holy. 
We can't even blame past sin against us. All of us have been sinned against. All of us have sinned against others. And sometimes the scars from both are, are, are deep and they, and they carry on. But the reality is what James is telling us and what we need to embrace by God's, with God's help is that we all sin because we are enticed by our own evil desires. We need to own that. And this is about as not popular and, you know, counter to the culture as you could ever get. But this is what the word of God says. Think of it this way. I don't know if this will help you. Help me to think about it a little bit. Temptation is the match. It's the the lighter. But the evil that's in our hearts and minds that we allow to just linger, that's the fuel. Remove the fuel and the fire of temptation will lose its power because temptation is coming in with a little match and it's trying to light something that's gonna turn into that blazing inferno. Think about how, fire, how firefighters, when they're fighting forest fires, what they do, how they get out ahead of the fire. What do they do? They remove the fuel. They dig it out. And you think about the work, and, and they talk about the work that these, that, that these uh, men and women do in, in, in fighting fires and how they will spend countless hours, just an incredible amount of work digging out trying to get a line where the fire stops because it has nothing else to burn. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds to me like they're being vigilant with fire, right? That's what they're doing. They're being vigilant with fire. And that's the picture that the scripture is giving us with sin and temptation. Be vigilant. Don't watch the fire burn and say, boy, that's really burning. But to get out ahead and say, God, by God's grace, where, help me remove this, this fuel so that it doesn't burn everything down. We need to do the same. Remove the fuel that empowers temptation. And that fuel, according to the word, is indwelling sin. It's the evil desires that lurk in our heart. But Jesus told us in Matthew 26, he said, the spirit is indeed willing. The spirit can empower you and strengthen you to do this. We are not on our own. This message is not for you to respond that I just got to do better myself. No, you need to depend fully and wholly on God. Lean on him. But what you do need to do is recognize what's going on internally. The flesh is weak. The spirit is indeed willing. So watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's the exhortation. And then we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, help us. Help us to do that. Because we can't do it on our own. We need him to help us. So would you pray with me? Pray with me and Bow your heads and maybe there's things that God is convicting you of that you know need to go. Just, just ask him. Say, God, I, these are things your, your spirit's bringing to me. 
I don't want these things to lurk in my heart, in my mind. I want to be vigilant and watchful. I don't want to watch the weeds of sin just grow in my heart. Help me, Lord. Lord God, I pray that you would help each one of us because we, we desire to please you, God. But we're all fighting and dealing with our own internal sin that wars against us. So help us, Lord, to not enter into temptation. We, wanna, we, we really want to follow that exhortation you gave to Peter. We want to watch, be vigilant. We want to pray that we may not enter into temptation. Giving in that we would resist and follow the leading of your spirit because he is willing indeed to lead us. Help us, Lord. Help us not to feel defeated as the enemy will try to make it seem that there is no way this is possible. May we not believe that lie, but may we believe in the power of our God to help us. And we thank you for your word and we thank you that you've not left us alone. Help us now, Lord, as we continue to lean on you for strength and for the ability to battle temptation in a biblical, God-honoring way. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.